How many hours and years of our lives do we spend on work? For nearly all of us, we spend 30 plus years and one third of our days in our vocation. More time, perhaps, than we spend at rest or at play. But this isn't a problem. Why? Because work is good. Work needs to be integrated deeply into our lives and must be in line with our most important goals and values. And if it is, we have a far more complete and fulfilling life experience. Welcome to the How People Work podcast, where we explore the intersection of how humans think and act and how they apply themselves to their work. When you understand both of these things, you'll be equipped to be insightful, compassionate, and compelling leaders. Welcome back to How People Work. This is Jordan Peace, sitting here with Jason Murray. Uh, Today we're going to talk about happiness. Um, And Jason has been, as I like to use the expression, nerding out um, on a study that was done by MIT about this very topic of happiness. And I'm going to kick it to Jason to frame up what this study was, when it happened, why it happened, what the results were, at least some of those results. And then we'll just we'll just kind of spitball on yeah, our take. Well, on I think that. there's a bunch of ideas that come out of that that you and I have talked about a little bit in the past already, and we'll talk about a little bit more on this episode. So yeah, and I believe it was February of last year. So this is 2023. That would have been 2022. Um, Good math. A study came out and it was sort of published by MIT's uh, Sloan School of Business. Mm. And I couldn't believe it at first when I came across it because it was literally about happiness and the impact. It was a little mushy. Yeah, well, it it was like real science about happiness. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I wish we had known this in 2018 when (laughs) we started Fringe because it's like nobody was talking about that kind of stuff. Well, that and it's easy too in like a business setting to like be like Mr. Tough Guy and be like, happiness is for my... 10 year old daughter and right. the, how, her love of unicorns like that that has nothing yes, to do with like and adults and work are much less soldiers which is what you're about to talk about yeah so that, i think that is the crazy thing is if you take uh you know if you want to say where would it be most unlikely that you think you would study something like happiness you might say the military yeah but it is probably one of the best proxies for what does this mean in the workplace or business right. because it is literally the most merit-driven mm. institution right. that exists right. because of the nature of what they do. Right. And so True. Um, this study, what they did was they followed about a million U.S. Army soldiers over the course of about five years. and Which is a huge number, by the way. It's a huge number. Like your typical survey that you would publish in something like Forbes and say, we interviewed 500 people and, yes. and then you'd say a result that everyone is supposed to read and buy and believe based on 500 survey results, which, which, you know, in all honesty, is not so bad. Right. One million is wild. Yeah. That is a great cross section of society. You know, like if you got a million people, inevitably you got a solid cross section of. Right. And so they were um, looking at it from a lens of how did people self report, um, feelings of happiness. So they literally just asked them, you know, on a subjective basis, which is really how psychological researchers do this stuff. So measures of happiness or well-being, 
are measured by this subjectivity scale, but it's just people How assessing would you their measure it? sense of it, right? right. Yeah. But they found that it's still a reliable way of assessing uh, somebody's kind of overall affect in that way. Sure. And so it was really fascinating because individuals that self-reported greater levels of happiness were four times as likely to be top performers as their peers. So in terms of awards received, promotions, right. you know, anything kind of merit-based that those that reported higher levels of happiness right. literally were better performers in the organization. For math people, that's 400% uh, more. <laughs> yes, I think. Or I think it is. I mean, somebody's going to call me on that. Yeah. Um, that That's wild. That's, I mean, if you would have said every line that you just said, except for that, that number, I would have guessed like 50%. Right. You know, like right. ish, you know, at best. Yeah. 4X. Wow. Yeah, it's substantial. And yeah. so um, this was a really interesting piece of it too. So... When you have a study like this, you can start slicing the data yeah. and saying, yeah. well, you know, what are the factors that need to be taken into account? You right. know, are there kind of impacts when you slice things based on demographics and so forth? Right. Basically to look at, you know, what is the most substantial predictor of this mm. outcome? Mm -hmm. So was it this self-reported happiness or was it, you know, family background? Mm -hmm. Was it, you know, race or ethnicity, right. any of these kinds of right. things? Years of experience And despite all of these other demographic factors, when they were all taken into consideration, um, happiness was still the greatest predictor mm. of this merit-based award attainment. And so there's just something really compelling, I think, to the idea that, you know, what might be considered subjective yeah. and actually I think it'd be great to talk about a little bit more, like, is it actually as subjective as maybe we're inclined to believe? Right. Um, is this significant predictor of performance in mm. the workplace? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really interesting. And I mean, it also brings up questions about, well, how are we defining happiness and mm -hmm. how are the people answering the question thinking about happiness and, and how much is happiness potentially a bit of a choice, right? Like a right. bit of like an added like perspective of maybe gratitude and, you know, kind of focusing on what's good in one's life as opposed to focusing on the hardship or the negatives. It brings up a whole host of questions. Right? Yeah. Well, actually, to that point, there's a really interesting quote I came about um, in a book that I read a little while ago called The Happiness Hypothesis. Mm. And I'd never heard of this uh, person, but it was an ancient Roman scholar in Greek philosophy. And he said, nothing is miserable unless you think it's so. Mm. Nothing brings happiness unless you're content with it. And so it actually aligns kind of perfectly with what you were just describing right. and how you know, sometimes we think about it. Yeah. I mean, I was just theorizing, but he sounds smarter than me. That. Yeah. Well, his name is Boethius. So, wow. I mean, he's got yeah. something on you there. That's solid. When you yeah. have an Ethius in your name, you're set. Um, yeah. Well, I think there's something too to, you know, this idea, like, could certain people be more predisposed to being right. happy, yeah. for example? Sure. Um, and that actually is true. Mm -hmm. um, so as researchers have kind of gone and looked at these subjective measures, they do find that uh, when they assess sort of different personality traits and so forth, uh, that there are some people that just do have a higher baseline sort of set point, if you will, mm. of happiness. And so... It's not substantial, like it's not by a wide margin, but it is true that right. some people are slightly more predisposed yeah. uh, to be happy. But this study from MIT actually dug into that a little bit. So they looked at uh, what they called 
these heritability factors. So that's what you might consider something that's maybe more just biologically intrinsic. So you're okay. predisposed to, right. well, how much does that predisposition impact the actual sort of felt reality mm -hmm. of how you report your feelings of happiness? Right. And so when they looked at this, uh, again, I thought this was super fascinating. They found that uh, that heritability aspect of happiness only accounted for 20% of workplace happiness or job satisfaction, hmm. which means that the other 80% was influenced by factors within the workplace itself or maybe more external factors. And so uh, it actually brings you to a place where sort of the necessity is, well, you got to design. Right good workplaces mm -hmm. and good work experiences because it's such a huge contributing factor right. to what somebody's actually felt experience. Right. You can't just go out and find the happy people. Right. You can't just go find the that, right, right. that little 20% push and it's just like, oh well this this person we could just we could treat them like crap. We could pay them terribly and they're they're just they're just happy. You right. <laughs> just uh that that that's that's informative, right? That yeah, even when you find somebody that maybe is a little bit predisposed to put a good spin on things and, 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 you know, smile a little bit more often or whatever. That is a small percentage of, um, like the work that needs to be done in the workplace to actually generate that job satisfaction. Yep. And that's, I mean, I think that's observably true, right? I mean, not, not to, not to say researchers and actual science isn't valuable and of course it's valuable, but it's also observably true. Yeah. You know, like you obviously, you know, when companies where, um, people feel, kind of appreciated, seen, heard, dignified, respected, they're, they're going to be happier in that workplace and in a mm -hmm. place where they feel like a cog in a wheel, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I know in our own experience, I've just heard, so, like, well, we don't do it anymore, but I used to be able to do the final interview for every single person mm -hmm. that came into Fringe, you know? And, and the stories about their old job was never, I mean... And maybe it's just my interview style. I'm very like personal and like, I really don't care about your resume or experience. I just want to like know your story. You right. know? But the story is always about the feeling of what it was like to work there, wherever there was, right. you know, or even two or three or four jobs ago, that great experience that they had. And like, they ended up parting ways for some reason or the, the company didn't make it or whatever. But it was always about words like, I loved it there. I was so happy there. I had a great relationship with my manager there. Or I was miserable there. It's right. always this like word that is associated with the happiness scale. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a good, that's a great example that I think yeah. we could maybe try and unpack a little bit. Because when I hear that, I think, well, how how accurate is somebody's assessment mm. of that? Like, is it actually a reasonable judgment yeah. of, you know, happiness? Because right. like, is it just truly as subjective right. as like, I felt a certain way? Right. Or are there ways that, mm. you know, we might be able to create a more consistent framework mm -hmm. for understanding yeah. happiness maybe a little bit more broadly? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you can set up a framework that gives people a lot higher chance of being satisfied in their job, right? Um, there are people, in my observation, again, this is not coming from science or research, but in my observation, there are people that are determined to be miserable, mm -hmm. right? That are just, they're just kind of look like, you could set up everything in the way in which, you know, it, it kind of ought to lead to satisfaction, mm -hmm. but 
they're they're just not willing to accept that. And typically it's something, you know, in their past, some experience that they've had, some wound, right? That it's just they're not they haven't overcome that. They haven't that that hasn't been figured out. And mm-hmm. and so we we can't produce happiness one hundred percent of the time in our workplaces. Right. Like that's not shouldn't be the goal, right? Right. Uh, I think the goal ought to be to provide an environment mm-hmm. in which people can thrive, that we can see this human flourishing and that we're not in the way of that human flourishing, that we're we're both promoting it and not being a stumbling block to it. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe one way we could come at this, because I, I haven't thought through the answer to this question, so I'm curious what you'll say, is mm-hmm. like what what causes somebody to be unhappy at work? Mm. I think there could be a number of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's, let's be honest, <laughs> you, you, you never know what I'm going to say. Um, human beings always look outside of themselves for their source of uh, like, unha- like whatever the word is, like dissatisfaction, right. right? Like disappointment, whatever. They always are looking outside of themselves, mm-hmm. right? So I think in your surveying and when you ask people, why are you unhappy? Mm-hmm. The answer almost always is going to be that person that situation that I, I wasn't equipped because of right. right. It, there's a there's it's kind of always right. finger pointing with the when I'm not happy. Right. When when I am happy, it seems to be more balanced. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, well, I'm satisfied because I felt like I did good work and I was proud of myself. Yeah. And it's balanced with, but I also had a great coach and a mentor. And it's balanced with, well, I really love my leaders. Yeah. Right. And it, it seems to be more clear and honest and yeah. you know um, well rounded in that. Yeah. Answer. Well, because this is a tough thing and this maybe ties into the quote from Boethius a little bit here is at what point as an individual Mm -hmm. do I actually have a valid claim or an invalid claim Mm -hmm. on being unhappy? So Mm -hmm. if maybe my unhappiness is largely a result of, you know, circumstances around me and I'm kind of pointing the finger elsewhere, can I not as an individual like take some responsibility to maybe perceive the situation differently, but, or is that just like kind of positive thinking like bull crap? No, no, I don't think so. I I mean, I think what you're describing is, is one good definition of what maturity is, Mm -hmm. right? Like being able to clearly see who's responsible for what, Mm -hmm. especially what you are responsible for, Mm -hmm. you know? And like humility, I think part of what humility is, is when you are happy to recognize that you aren't the one that got yourself there, not fully, right? Mm -hmm. That there are a lot of people, right, that poured into your life and your situation and your work and whatever it is to help you. And when you're unhappy, the maturity is, I took part in this, Mm right? Right my attitude, my lack of effort, my lack of forgiveness for those that have wronged me, whatever the case may be, Mm -hmm. right? So I think the claim that I'm not happy is valid Mm -hmm. because we're talking about an emotion. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you, yes, you are happy, right? You feel what you feel and that the feeling is valid, right? But I think there is a, a need to challenge whoever in our lives, whether we work with them or they're our friends or they're our wives. We're talking about our wives on the way here, very positively, all, all <laughs> praises. Um, but, you know, there, there's a need if people care about each other to kind of call out some BS, right? And to kind of say like, well, yeah, I know you're miserable, but I, some of that's on you, 
Yeah. Right. And like, let me walk you through maybe some of the steps you've taken. Yeah. And that's, that's tough love and that's hard and that's awkward, yeah. you know, to do that. And especially in the workplace to do that. Right. But I think that's kind of the level of relationship, you know, on a peer to peer level or maybe manager to peer level that breeds a healthy culture in an organization yeah. or a healthy family, right? Right. To have the the ability to to have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's something to that maturity. I think I'm not going to remember the name of the book, so maybe we'll find it for the show notes afterwards. But the premise of this book was a guy went and lived with the lepers in Calcutta mm. in India. Yeah, you've told me for a that. year. Yeah. Um and he basically went to just study how they lived mm. and like, what was their life like? And what he described in the book was some of the happiest people you would ever meet. And you would think, how could they possibly be the happiest yep. people that you would ever meet? Because circumstantially, mm -hmm. there's nothing about their life that we would look at, especially where we live in the first world, right. you know, in the West and say, Oh man, like I can totally imagine why they must be so happy right. with yeah. everything they got going great. on. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, it sounds miserable. Yeah. It sounds horrible. And so right. uh, it it speaks to the fact that, you know, what I guess what lies behind true happiness, mm. even our subjective mm. feeling of it, has to go deeper than yeah. those external circumstances, right? It does. I mean, that 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 will take me down a deep rabbit hole to talk <laughs> Let's about do it. that, right? I mean, really, like, how many times have you heard people say, like, statistically, the happiest people are those, like, just above the poverty line? Mm -hmm. Like that. And that's, that's just a financial reality that, right. that breeds happiness. In this situation, these people are dying, mm -hmm. right? How many stories have you heard of people, people that are, how many songs have you heard, right? We were just, we were just laughing about country songs and we don't enjoy the twang necessarily, but the storytelling can be really good. Like the story, we're sitting here drinking tequila and the song about tequila, which I won't share any lyrics of right now, but there's a song, right? Yeah. I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying, mm -hmm. right? And it's all the, what, what, this, this country, I can't remember who it is. I apologize. I can't remember who the singer is, but what he would do right? If he found out he were dying. Right. And it's not like, well, I would just sit around and mope. It was like, I'd go skydiving and I'd go, you know, mountain climbing. I'd do this and that and the other thing. Uh -huh. And like, so would you and so would I, mm -hmm. you know, because your, your appreciation of every moment gets, is so much sweeter when you, when you see the, the timeline, right? So yeah, it's not, it's not wealth, right? That brings happiness. It's not even, it's not stability that brings happiness, right? right? It's a, it's a viewpoint of what I have and I ought to be appreciative of what I have. Yeah. Right. Because it's limited. Well, it's right? an, it's an orientation. So I think what you're it's talking an about, and we we were talking about the, this this morning is yeah. like, you can't experience true happiness unless you actually know what you're aiming for. Yes. And so what happens when, you know, you get that death sentence right. essentially yeah. because you're mortally ill, all of a sudden it brings into focus what actually matters most. Yeah, definitely. And most yeah. of us just kind of stumble through life right. without ever thinking about these things. And so right. we just kind of wake up and we're like, what are we doing today? I don't know. I'm just going to go do some stuff. And like, right. maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. I have right. no idea right. because I'm not actually thinking about. Not thinking at all. What's most I, important. Because I don't have to think. Right. Like for centuries on centuries on millennia, right? Your chief goal was to survive. Right. Right? You had to make the food, find the food, cook the food, eat the food, mm -hmm. right? Like stay alive. Like 
have shelter. Like medicine wasn't even a thought for many <laughs> thousands of years, right? <laughs> Until it was. And then, you know, there was, there was some concern about that. And that was part of the staying alive narrative and goal and focus, right? But it has become, for most of us, I should say, not to, you know, there, there are unique situations, but for most of us in the West, it has become too easy to survive. Right. Right. And so if survival is not the goal anymore, then right. we fail to make goals sometimes. Right. We're just like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I just kind of coast, I guess. I, I yeah. just, I'll just go from the one thing to the next, one relationship to the next, job to the next, whatever, kind of wherever life leads me, you know. Right. And it's, and yet we have the highest anxiety rates, depression rates. In all of human history, right. suicide rates in all of human history, and we're the wealthiest and we're that the we've wealth- ever been. Right, and the wealthiest in we've ever the been. The course of human history, it's, things, it, it's so much easier to survive than it's ever been. We got more medicine, right. we live longer, you know, and yet we're less happy. Right, right, like that should that should rock us to yeah. to like think about that. Like, why is that? Right. Isn't that the whole point? Like live longer, have more, relax more, work right. less. Like, isn't that the whole thing? Yeah. Well, right? I mean, that kind of goes back to even what we talked about last week when we got into all the weird definitions of different types of happiness and whatnot. Yeah. But a lot of those things that you're just describing yeah. would kind of fall into that bucket of yeah. hedonic happiness, mm. which is basically just things that I get to have Right. like very short term right. oriented kind of pleasure experiences. Right. And what happens with all of those things, say food. For those of us that aren't as smart as Jason, that's based on the word hedonism yes. as in pleasure seeking. So just this Correct. is a little definition <laughs> Thank there you. for everybody. Um, <laughs> so, you know, if you take food, for example, like food satiates. So like mm. it brings a great deal of pleasure yeah. for a very short very period short of, time. of time. And when the experience is over, right. you feel full. You actually yeah. can't enjoy anymore mm-hmm. without it becoming a horrible experience. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the same is true of some of these other things. So when we talk about wealth or like earning income and things like that, um, there's what's called the adaptation principle. Mm. So this is, again, a psychological term. I can't take credit for it. Uh, But it just means that once you have something, you adjust to a new set point of that experience. When we were in financial planning, we used to call that lifestyle creep. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Right. And so it it correlates exactly to these studies Mm -hmm. that, you know, have been done around um, happiness. Whatever I had yesterday is my new demand on life. I must have that every day from here forward. Right. Right. So I think this is why, you know, the research around that kind of looks at the correlations between income and happiness, it all breaks down over a certain threshold because over a certain threshold, It's just the adaptation principle at work. You have a new set point. It's not going to sustain a level of happiness because it's not actually tapped into that goal orientation. Right, right. So you really have to step back then and say, well, fundamentally, that longer term sustained happiness is based upon something deeper and more meaningful and purposeful. Yeah. I mean, you look at like the super wealthy in the world and, you know, they, for most of their life, they generate wealth, generate wealth, generate wealth, right? And some of them never really change from that or they they die young or whatever happens. But you see a lot of people get into their 60s, 70s, and all of a sudden, like a, like a Bill Gates, like Bill and Melinda Gates, for example, mm-hmm. like good example of just like a switch flipped and they were like, we need to give back. Mm-hmm. We need to like, we need to seek purpose. Mm-hmm. You could just tell that that is 
the mission in their house. Well, I don't think they have a household anymore, but you know what I mean? Like you could yeah. just see that change. Like all of a sudden, like Bill Gates was Microsoft and then all of a sudden Bill Gates was a foundation. Yeah. You know, and it was all about that. And, and you just wonder, did he, did it take him until that point in life? And did his set point change so many times mm-hmm. that he finally realized like, oh, this is just like limitless pursuit of limitless wealth yeah. that will never satisfy me. Yeah. You know, this is malarkey for yeah. lack of a better word, you know? And, um, yeah, so it's, it, it's fast. So, so you, you keep bringing up goals. So I think it's a good, a good transition of, of what, what do we want in life? What is it that matters to us? Mm-hmm. And I think another thing that's malarkey to use the word twice is that we assume that it's money that is the predominant thing, tool that will get us the thing that we want. And that might be the case. You might sit down and set goals mm-hmm. and the thing for you that like just taps into the heart of heart of hearts for you yeah. is a yacht. Yeah. You know, like maybe that's the thing. I don't, I'm not going to try to judge that. I'd push on that if, if that's yeah. the thing, right? Yeah. I, know, I know you would. I, I would too, but I'm just, I'm being a little bit playful here. But like, it's, I, I'm not trying to say money's unimportant or it's not something to pursue for certain means, right? Your goal might be to give away a billion dollars in your life. You're not going to yeah. be able to do that unless you have a billion dollars, right. right? So it's not, it's not that money it's, itself is the bad thing. It's just the assumption that that is the chief tool needed to accomplish the goal is, right. is falsehood. Well, it's a means. It is yeah. a means. It's one means. Right. To yeah. right. an end. Yeah. Which the end is the goal. The end is the goal. But then you have to say, like, let's say, let's let's take the yacht example. See, right? you couldn't let it go. I no. You let it go. Well, it's, I, I think it's a good one because, yeah. well, because I take myself and say, like, yeah. you know, I've been dreaming about this, like, you know, vacation house that right. like we don't have right, right now, but yeah. I'd love to have something like yes. that for yeah, our family. Does. But, you know, you look at something like that, it's like, well, you need, you know, certain resources and yeah. you got to get a down payment, like all these things got to right. come together in order to make something like that happen. But if I really step back and say like, why do I want that? Yeah. Well, it's not exactly because I just want a place to get away. Mm-hmm. It's because I imagine all of the experiences that I'll have with my family there mm. and all the other people from my family and friends that mm-hmm. I'll bring there and the experiences mm-hmm. that we'll share together. And so all of a sudden, the value that's behind just like, hey, it's not actually about having like a vacation house right. in and of itself. It's right. actually about these experiences. Right. And so then you start kind of unpacking that. And it's like, why does that matter? It's like, well, because you know, those relationships in my life are the most important thing to me. And so Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're building this value hierarchy that you can orient yourself towards in the day-to-day things that you do. And so now all of a sudden, you know, the happiness isn't like, well, do I have more money or not? Because that's not really the ultimate end anyways. The ultimate end is like, what's at the top of that value hierarchy that I actually care most about? And am I making progress towards it? Do I feel that I'm making progress towards that? Right, right. Um, we, I am shocked by how long we've been talking. It feels like it's been five minutes and it has not been five minutes. Um, if you're good with it, I would love to just pick this up next week, okay. continue down this very same track because I think there's a ton more to say on happiness and I think some personal stories we can share, our own goals, mm-hmm. how you go about setting goals, 
how you go about setting goals if you have people in your life like a spouse or a life partner or somebody important to you that you need to kind of co-set those goals with. Mm-hmm. I think there's a ton to discuss. Um, is that is that good? That's you? good. All right, cool. I know we have like another topic planned, but I think it would be fun just to continue. Um, so let me wrap it up yes. and we'll we'll jump back on next week. And I we'll, got to give we'll, you the word of the day. Oh, give me the word of the day. Yeah. For this week, oh, which is you. symbiosis. I, I, I want, okay. I'm going to have to look that one up too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. It's like symbiotic, symbiosis. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Right, I, mean, I, know, I know my root words. Yeah. Like I know my prefixes Noun pretty well. adjective. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, well, great. Um, really enjoyed this discussion. I hope, I hope you all enjoyed listening to our discussion on happiness. We're going to pick this up next week. Uh, we were planning on talking about having a positive vision of work. And so I think we almost could even blend the two. Happiness positivity at work is you know they do kind of go together but we're going to pick this up uh really enjoy thank you jason for the time really enjoy the discussion and we will catch you all next week on how people work bye-bye bye